I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, everybody uh, out there in the ether, wherever you're tuning in from across the country. Uh, uh, like you heard, my name is Jeremy Saunders. This is Taylor McGilvery. We're the uh, two out of three co-hosts of Sick Boy Podcast, and uh, we're thrilled. We're thrilled to be a part of uh, such a such an important conference. Um, and and the fact that we're we're getting to close this off uh, just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. Yeah, our third co-host will be parachuting in. <laughs> who are on, on opening in the roof uh, yeah. sometime at an unannounced time uh, during the conversation. Uh, not true. Not true. Um, we are so delighted to be sitting down with Virginia and Natasha. Uh, Virginia is the president and executive director of People in Pain Network. And uh, I know we're going to have some things to hear from you, Virginia, about your, um, your experience with pain after a 2009 shoulder surgery. Curious to know more about that. Mm-hmm. And Natasha is a second-year university student studying biomedical science in the French immersion stream, extra hard, uh, at the <laughs> University of Ottawa. And uh, I love the difficulty. <laughs> she was diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis at the age of 13. Uh, guys, thank you for, for joining us today. Yeah. We're, we're so excited to have you. And uh, I guess the first question is, how, how are you guys doing today? Doing great. I think this is such a treat to be here on the last session today. And mm-hmm. I'm great. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, super, I'm super excited to be here. I'm doing great as well. Good. Well, good to good to good to know that we're we're all feeling good uh going into this and hopefully we can keep the the spirits high. I, one thing the way I'd like to kind of kick this off, um it, it, very rare do we get to have two guests at the same time when we're recording a podcast. Um uh uh, but, you know, before I actually get into that, one little housekeeping rule, uh, I want to put this out to all the people listening at home. Um, it, throughout the conversation, if you have questions that come up that you are dying to know, uh, feel free to um, put those into the, the chat, into the, the Q&A section. Um, and every so often, I'll be checking in uh, with, with Jennifer to make sure that we have, if we have any questions that we hit them, um, instead of doing a Q&A at the end, we'll kind of, we'll kind of check in. Uh, as we go through the conversation. Um, one thing that I wanted to bring up there about having two guests on, um, mm. in particular in this, in, in, with, the, with the topics that we're, we're going to cover is, um, is like how, and we'll get into it obviously, but the, the two different sort of uh, paths through which you come to this experience, um, mm. you know, one, being, one being an autoimmune, um, an autoimmune condition and one being uh, something that's coming from uh, something that kind of just like pops up out of nowhere mm. after... Uh, uh, after um, what I'm assuming, um, we'll find out, of course, what I'm assuming is a sort of like routine, um, routine surgery or repair on your shoulder. So that's mm. really, I think that's really interesting giving those two, uh, really different perspectives yeah. on, on pain. 
Well, then let's get into that. Uh, Virginia, we'll start with you. I, I'm dying to know what is what's your what's your pain origin story? Um, we, we'd love to we'd love to hear it. All right. Um, well, I had a workplace injury. I do work in healthcare, and uh, I ended up having to have a shoulder surgery. I had a rotator cuff tear, and this left me with this excruciating back pain that they seem to not know where it was coming from or what it was. And all the questions, the answers would be is um, the surgery went well, the shoulders mm. went well. And then I enough developed an allodynia, which is when you get this light touch bothers you and uh, mm. my fascia pain in my back. And uh, because it's like most of them, because they um, it was abnormal and that it was often dismissed and um, overlooked. Mm. And what, what was the pain? What was the pain? Uh, I'm really familiar with short, with uh, rotator cuff pain. I growing up playing hockey, I probably had like a three year period where I was like, just, I was going to acupuncturist. I was seeing osteo. I just saw everybody cause my shoulder just couldn't, it, it just had perpetually had issues in the rotator cuff. And it seemed like it was just almost impossible for anybody to really nail down what was going on. But I just remember it being really uncomfortable. What was the pain? What was that pain like versus the pain that mm. sort of ensued um, after your surgery? Was it like, was it a similar type of, like, was it the pain of the, sh of the shoulder that continued or is it a completely different realm of, of sensation? Oh, a completely different because the first one was the shoulder was right anterior at the front of the shoulder, which is a stabbing pain and, and the surgery did fix it up. And then I developed this pain in my back right on the medial border of the scapula. Mm. And that was just like you had knives and burning knives and stabbing oh, no. in it just every moment and every time you see them they look at the shoulder and not the back and like what there's pain there right, right. yeah it, it was totally um totally different in a wider area it covered mm -hmm. and what like the pain that ensued after the surgery was that was it pretty immediate or was this like you know after recovery from the, the surgery itself you know when you have a surgery and then you see they have you on these high medications yeah yeah so when it started coming off of them after about three or four days, I was weaning off and all I could feel was this pain in my back. Mm. Uh, Natasha, what about you? What was your, what's your, uh, what's your pain origin story? Um, well, I was 13 when I was diagnosed with arthritis. So I feel like that was shocking because, you know, mm. you don't think kids get arthritis. Like it just, it doesn't, doesn't match up, but that's the reality of it. Um, I was very, I was not super active, but I played tennis, I played piano, and I just started developing pain in my fingers. It kind of moved around my body, and then it was like, you have arthritis. Mm, mm -hmm. I, uh, I, watched your, uh, I watched your documentary short uh, earlier today, and, I, um, and it, 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 you mentioned how you know, the first thing that people think of when they think of arthritis is, is you know, old people get arthritis. Mm. You know, kids don't get arthritis. And it just, it really th it threw me back to the first time that we, that we talked about juvenile arthritis on, uh, on the podcast, which was many years ago now. And, 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 and having, and, and being faced with that same thought that myself, you know, like a lot of the things that we talk in the podcast, our guests are really highlighting those things to us that we have lived with ourselves, like those preconceived mm. notions, which was definitely one of them for us that, you know, arthritis is something that, uh, you know, somebody gets later in life and, kids getting arthritis is, it, 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 you know, like, how does that happen? I mm -hmm. thought you had to be old to get arthritis. And what did that pain look like for you, Natasha? Like, how was the, how was the pain um, manifesting in your body specifically? 
So it was definitely sharp throbbing pain, but it's more so the inflammation. So with that pain comes swelling. Um, mm. And I just found that a lot, it, a lot of my fingers were swollen and then it went to my feet and it was just painful and swollen, hot, red, inflamed, that mm. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I, one thing that I'm, I'm kind of curious about um, in, in speaking to people who develop um, sort of a, like a you know, chronic pain condition um, is, is the types of conversations that you have with healthcare providers surrounding what that issue is. Um, uh, I, you know, I don't, we've done this show now for seven years and we've talked about chronic pain here and there, but we've never really like honed in on, on just the notion of chronic pain as like a full episode. Um, and so one thing I'm curious about is like, what is the, what is the, or at least what, what is your experience with your healthcare providers um, notion of chronic pain? Like Virginia, for you, for example, you know, you come into the surgery, you start having pain in your scapula. Um, you know, did you ever get to a point where you heard from someone, oh, um, well, this is, this is what we call chronic pain. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> years later years no yeah. I, I i think it was really the fifth physiotherapist i went to two years later all the same was the shoulders fine the shoulders move on. The, the actual word chronic pain uh, i would say at least two years into my journey till i got into a pain clinic actually the pain clinic in halifax before mm. even told me what it was i was totally oblivious to what that what was going on mm. so were you, were you sort of were you going along thinking well, this has to be some type of, you know, there's some, there must've been some type of mistake with the surgery where they, where they, you know, mm. they, they, they cut a muscle and it's been torn or something like, you know, was that sort of what you were, what you were going along with? Initially, initially I was going along with something like like that there, there had to be something going on or, you know, yeah. And then I thought, well, maybe the scapula is winging us or something with that. But it, but initially, and I mean, I went to osteopaths, five physiotherapists, surgeons, another surgeon, doctors, and, nobody nobody mm. i'm um, like I, i'm really um i'm i feel like this this experience um of of like a long a long and and sometimes unanswered or a journey with with very in the medical system with very few answers is like starting to resonate with me um not in my my personal experience but i just had a daughter and things are starting to you know like like small things coming up with her and I find myself worrying that there won't be an answer when we go to see the doctor and that'll, when that will be, you know, will be redirected to another, another specialist or another, and, and, and I'm going, Oh my God. And I, I'm really starting to feel on a more personal level, the experience that we have heard from a lot of our guests, which is, Oh, I, I, you know, I, it took me five, eight, 10 years to go from when I first noticed that something was wrong until mm. I started to um, get answers or I started to feel like I was being heard by the medical mm -hmm. system. And I know, and pain seems like something that is this, like chronic pain seems like something that is this like mystical sort of, you know, unanswered, like formless vague. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and it seems like there's like, am, am I right? Am I right in, in that notion that it, that that's, sort of what you experience in the medical system is that it's kind of this, this like thing out here that we really don't have in much, much language to describe or why it happens or where it's coming from. 
Oh, absolutely. And I, I think what happens too is because they don't understand it. Uh, they dismiss you. They'll, mm. they'll, they'll walk away or they'll, you know, say it's all in your head. But I think the answers are there. It's just, there's very few clinicians with the answer. So you get into a specialized clinic and it, it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I, you, you mentioned something earlier that I'm not familiar with, uh, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, a number of the people that are attending the conference are very familiar with, but for, for my own sake, because I'm a ding dong and don't know much about anything. Um, what is, what is, did you say allodynia? Allodynia? Allodynia. It's, allodynia. I think that's how you say it. It's, um, it's a very light touch hurts. Like the wind in the car. If I don't have a shirt on my back, when the wind is the car, if I have the wind, the, the breeze of the wind will bother my back. It'll oh hurt. My goodness. That, light, that very light touch. And there's certain days, certain types of clothes I, I can't wear. It's that, the, the rubbing of it. It uh, will hurt. Um, oh, my well, God. One half of my back. Oh, okay. So so it is very localized. It's not, it's it's to that one, yeah, to that one spot. Wow, that's... Uh... That sounds highly annoying. Yeah, annoying, annoying might um, annoying might be somewhat offensive, possibly, but uh, but yeah, um, Natasha, with with your experience, um, what what is what does what does pain look like for you on a on a like a day to day basis? Mm. Is it is it something that is it something that you deal with every day? Is it something that flares up? I know that I know that that uh, that arthritis it, it can be uh, can be like a, a a come and go type of uh, experience. What is it for you? Yeah. So for the past, so I was diagnosed when I was thirteen. I'm nineteen now, so it's been six years of fun. Um, but from the mm-hmm. I guess like three or four years in, originally when I was diagnosed, it was like constant pain every day, nonstop. I could not write anymore, couldn't type anymore, could barely walk. But then I got onto medications, which helped. Um, And same with what Virginia did. Like I went physio, occupational therapist, Mm. herbal medicine. Like I was desperate to find answers. Um, And eventually it kind of went back to medication to help my pain. Um, But ever since then, it's a fluctuating condition. So, you know, when I wake up in the morning, it hurts. And when I go to sleep, it gets better. But that's Mm -hmm. only recently. Whereas like a year ago, I didn't, I didn't deal with pain all the time. And now it's like this year, this month specifically, I wake up in pain every day. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I couldn't even tell you, like, I'm in pain all the time. Like it just, it changes so much that I, I, it's just like a, a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, the, the thing about the, the note on, on, you know, feeling desperate for answers. Um, I can imagine that when it comes to conditions like this, you, there's, there's an element to trying to find the, the, like the solution to finding ease in any way possible. Um, so one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is is pain management um, and how that difference be- how that differs between the two of you. Um, it, like, and and also like with pain management, I'm I'm sure, you know, we talk a lot about pain management on the show, and and oftentimes, like for example, Taylor, you you were uh, you were in a pretty severe car accident a few years ago, and I know that you know the only solution for you at the time when you were going through. Uh, that was, was, you know, opioids, like, you know, Dilaudid was something that you were prescribed and, and that's a really tricky road to go down. You know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of risks associated with that. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, like, I guess, Virginia, to start with you, what, what, like, what were the, 
early days, what were the options that were given to you to kind of combat the pain that you were experiencing? And over the span of the years that you've been dealing with this, like what, what's the, you know, what are the different solutions that you've tried to find or, 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 you know, alleviations that you've tried to use to, to try to get yourself to a place where you can function? And I'm sure for a lot of the early days, it was everybody you go to, you really got another medication. Yeah. yeah. You know, you really did one medication after another medication. And I got so desperate. I, uh, you know, you walk away uh, with a purse full of medication. So you get desperate and you take a few of them at a time. You, yeah. you do what you need to do. You, you know, you have a little bit of wine with it. And then you take a few more. You, you just be, you just spiral in a really, a really dark pit, a really whole, you know, you're not working. You're not doing anything but just popping whatever they're giving you. Because that's all they're giving you. And mm -hmm. You know, nobody understands no social circle, nothing. As I got into the pain clinic and I learned what was happening and things started to change, I now go for what's called trigger point injections for the myofascia and learning what, what helps for me, heat and cold, taking rest, um, pacing, prioritizing my week. I literally have a calendar and I look at my week. Okay. I got one meeting this night. Okay. I get this one. And I really prioritize. I work part-time. I really scale back how I work, what I do with my work now. It's uh, nutrition. You know, mm -hmm. um, I was out to visit my brother a few weeks ago and going back and it's like, you, you know, when you're visiting someone and you just eat junk. Yeah, that points mm -hmm. in my pain is up, and uh, so I, I need to be mindful of those things. I practice um, meditation, so it's it's really mm -hmm. a really modified lifestyle has changed. But with doing all that, I'm able. I'm a runner. I'm able to run again. I'm not able to do marathons, but I am able to run again. I'm able to work part time. I'm able to come off on all the meds except uh, some Tylenol with the treatments. I've been able to spread my treatments apart. So with uh, changing how I do things and learning more and more, which I continuously do, I've been able to really um, function again and do mm. things. And, and those like alternative um, treatments, you know, focusing on diet, uh, meditation, um, you know, even like even managing your week to week, are those things that you had to learn yourself or were those things that were, that were given to you by, by certain professionals in, in the, you know, the field of pain? So when I finally got into the QE2, into the pain clinic, you do a set of classes, self-management classes. So mm. they introduce you to it. Then it takes a lot of trial and error to figure out what's going to work, learning how to do meditation, um, whether you need videos or a podcast or not. And, um, you do it in your own when you need to it's it's a lot of trial and error and um by being involved in the pain world i continue to learn from other people too because i run those peer support groups too and what they're doing and will continues to tweak things it's such a um when, when you when you mentioned meditation um i was i was uh i was thinking about this conversation earlier today and i was kind of thinking like what is like what's my relationship with pain and, mm -hmm. um, you know, the experiences that I've had, which is like largely acute pain where there is a, a hopefully predefined end to that, uh, you know, that's like, you know, once this bone is not broken anymore, or once this, what this, uh, um, you know, once this fever is broken or whatever, um, that it'll be, it'll be gone, um, versus the experience of living with pain on a day-to-day -day basis for mm -hmm. the foreseeable future, if not the, 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 the indefinite future. And, and I thought about how, how my experience with pain 
is I don't have to go into, I don't have to work with my psychology very much on it because it kind of comes with this, you know, in three to six weeks, this will be more or less gone. And I know that. And so I don't really have to think much about it. Um, I just kind of have to deal with the physical symptoms of it versus dealing with pain on a, for, for chronically um, and how much your psychology, how important that is and how, how, how you sort of um, nurture your psychology and how it, and how it affects your psychology kind of really affects your outcomes. And, and when you say something like, you know, experiencing practicing meditation, like how important, how important your, your psychological perception of your pain, um, how important that is in your physic in, in managing your physical manifestation of that pain. Like yeah. it, it, how, how, like for both of you, what is that, what is that experience like dealing with it from a psychological level <clears throat> to deal with the physical sensations? Mm. I think for like the longest time I felt like, okay, I really can't do anything anymore just because I was in elementary school, I was in high school, now I'm in university and like the whole social life, it's like, I need to think about whether or not I want to go out with people. Am I going to be in pain the next day? Like there's just so many things to think about, but over a period of time, I kind of had to train my mindset and, you know, I can say no to things. And that took a really long time for me to like come to that and say, okay, if I'm in pain, I need to say no. Um, and and over a period of time and practicing that and saying no to things, it's definitely helped in terms of how I can now manage my pain. And I, I got to say at 19. Yeah. Uh, That's to, hard. Uh, notwithstanding. I, I'm 34 and I still don't know how to say no. So the, like kudos to you because that, that really is, uh, that's a hard thing to do, you yeah. know, especially, especially at a young age, especially at an age where, you know, um, they're, FOMO. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like I feel like when I was nineteen, I I put I prioritized social experiences far more than I do now as a as a more a, a more bigger boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but and so, you had to deal, and you were and you were dealing. And Jeremy lives with CF. He didn't mention that yet, which is crazy. Right, he didn't yeah, say right. that. Um, uh, but the, and dealing with your CF, yeah. and, and knowing that when you prioritize social stuff, you're probably going to suffer with yes. your CF. Yeah. Yeah. CF being cystic fibrosis for anybody listening who doesn't, uh, who doesn't know. Um, uh, and, and Virginia, before, before we get into how you manage the mental side of things, uh, Natasha, one thing I'm curious to know is what does pain management look like for you on a day-to-day -day basis today? Yeah. So I definitely have my medications, which are ongoing, but I use like wrist braces and compression gloves and all those sort of tools to help me out. I definitely still struggle with pain management. I tried meditation for a while because my sister got me into it. Um, but you know, I always have excuses. I'm like, no yeah, way. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have time for this. Um, <laughs> I've, tried, I've tried so many things. I've tried like yoga, um, just many different things and alternative therapies and all that stuff. But on a daily basis now, it's just not aggravating my joints as much as I can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Topical stuff here and there. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. And, and Virginia, the, the, you know, the mental health side of things, what does that look like for you? It, it's, you know, like, like I think Natasha was said something important there, learning to say no, yeah. uh, learning to practice gratitude. I mean, to the point we learned to say no, we actually in their support groups come up with ideas, teaching them how to say no. Oh, I, I can't this time, but I would another time. Really, because we don't say no. Mm. And we don't set these boundaries. Uh, practice the meditation, practice gratitude. Uh, try to, and I try not to let things get to you. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe this just isn't important or not get because when you, as soon as you do and you get stressed, your things get just get oversensitized. Yes. Yeah, the stress is just going to add to the pain in general. Yeah, I, I one thing that I that I'm like just absolutely dying to get into with both of you is the advocacy work that you both have found yourself um, kind of dedicating a, a very large chunk of your lives to. Um, but before we get to that, I would love to uh, just check in and see if we have any uh, any good questions that have come in from any of the listeners at home. Um, and if so, we can we can tackle uh, one or two of those right now. That's great. Um, actually, we've gotten a couple of questions, and uh, one is directed to Natasha, and one is directed to Virginia. So Amazing. there you go. Um, and Natasha, um, if you could, uh, Virginia spoke earlier about the changes over time and how things, uh, you know, how she modified her approach. Given your age at which you um, you were diagnosed and where you are today in terms of your life, um, how do you say things have changed for you as as things as you've gotten older? Your uh, you know support system changes, etc. How would you uh, respond to that? Yeah, so for me, definitely the progression of my disease changed. Uh, it definitely got better, so that mm-hmm. was great. I also cared more about my arthritis. I think before I always I was just relying on my parents to learn about my arthritis. And when my mom told me to read about it, I was like, you can read about it. So she just kept researching and finding things for me. Mm-hmm. But I've now gotten into kind of research and advocacy work. And I find that that's kind of where my passion is for. And so in that sense, like what my interests have changed more before it was like, I don't want to have have anything to do with this and now I actually want to learn about how we can help others in terms of like support systems that's changed as well I didn't know anyone that had arthritis when I was diagnosed so there was always like I'm feeling alone like I don't know anyone why do I have this can this go away all those questions and from my advocacy work and I I have a podcast as well I've met so many other young people with arthritis that now I can just text someone or call someone and be like hey what did you do in the kitchen for when you had to like lift something up and it hurt your hands? Like, can you tell me how to navigate that? And so in that sense, my support system has changed as well. That's amazing. Terrific. Thank you. Um, Virginia, uh, it's, uh, the question is, it sounds like Virginia might have developed fibromyalgia after surgery. Has she looked into that? So is how you wish to answer that. Yeah. You know, I don't know if there's a big distinction between myofascia pain and fibromyalgia. It's, uh, I think fibromyalgia is more a whole body where mine is on my upper back, the whole upper, uh, upper top of my upper back um, more on the right side. So I don't know if they would consider that fibromyalgia. They've diagnosed me with myofascia. Mm. Great. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Yeah. Um, Natasha, something that, uh, that I'm curious about um, in hearing your answer there is, um, is how much has your how much has your your arthritis and your experience with that influenced the uh, the school path that you're on? Are you in mm. you're in biomedical sciences? Is that is that am I yes. did I read that right? Yes, you did. Um, it's influenced it a lot. The only reason why I want to go into healthcare and hopefully medical school in the future is because of my own lived experience, because of the doctors that I've talked to, my own healthcare experience, that's kind of shaped what I want to do. Like I want to be a doctor that understands what patients are going through with my own mm. lived experience. So 
it's heavily influenced that. I think before grade 11, I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. Like my mom was like, maybe a French teacher, maybe a singing teacher, maybe like, I was just really confused. And I think my diagnosis has really shaped what I want to do career wise, which is yeah. it's great in a way, but also, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, and, and, you know, to, to that, to that exact point, um, I, it, it's also driven you to start your own nonprofit called, uh, take a pain check foundation. Um, uh, which also there's, you know, a companion podcast that goes along with that. Take a pain check. Um, tell us a little bit, you know, as, as podcasters, it's always interesting to talk to fellow podcasters. Um, what, what was the decision to start a podcast, uh, about pain and, and how has that, how has that journey kind of been for you? Has it been, I, I take it, you know, for us, I can say it's, it's been a most, most definitely been a, a huge learning opportunity for us to have conversations like this on a week to week basis. Um, what's it been like for you? Yeah. So originally I was scared to post on social media or even advocate for myself. So I never came to the point where I was like, I'm going to start advocating for others and post on my Instagram, something about arthritis. Like it's just, I wasn't ready for that. And it sort of just slowly happened. Um, I developed a podcast and the name take a pain check. I think basically everyone can relate to it. You know, you want to take a rain check, but this time it's because you have pain and you're dealing with fatigue and you just want to break. Um, so that's kind of what happened after the podcast started to roll out. I had a lot of researchers and patients that were my age um, reach out to me and the researcher was like, I've never heard a patient talk about their experience. Like we hear something on that side of the mm. table and they're saying mm. something completely different. So after kind of the feedback that I got, I wanted to make it a nonprofit because a lot of patients want to actually meet other patients. And I think Virginia can um, talk about what she does. Um, but yeah, so I decided to make a nonprofit where we have ambassador programs just to make content. So we have like a TikTok page. We make like chronic illness jokes and just social media content to support young people living with rheumatic diseases and chronic illnesses. So it's been super rewarding, especially after seeing all the feedback that I've gotten from other people. I've made mm -hmm. a lot of friends. You mentioned it was, it's like a learning curve, but I think I've also learned so much that I can basically find another doctor if I need to, like mm. I can talk to people, the compression gloves that I brought the other day, someone from South Africa that lives with arthritis on my team told me about it and it's been life-changing. So it's just, I'm getting so many tools and resources out of the organization and the podcast, which has been great. That's cool. very, very cool. I love that. Uh, Virginia, I know that, you know, with your story, there's, there's a, uh, a segment of the time of your life where you were dealing with pain in secret, trying to keep it from people in your life. Um, tell us a little bit about that and, and how you shifted from keeping it secret to, you know, putting it out into the open and, and sharing your story. Sure. Um, I would say for at least the first five, six years, I didn't tell anybody. And I don't even know if my family knew. I think they knew I was getting back to work and maybe the shoulder was getting better. Mm. Uh, you just don't share because there's such a stigma around pain and uh, people aren't going to believe you. People are going to figure you, you don't want to work, you're lazy, or is it really that bad? So I just didn't. And one year I went to the Canadian Pain Society was here in Halifax and they set up an afternoon, a workshop for sharing your stories. I was typically a quiet person and didn't get up and talk and that. 
So we did this workshop and I just really embraced how important it is to tell our stories. And I got up and I shared my story and I have now shared my story with uh, when the Canadian Pain Task Force was here at conferences, presenting at IASP constantly. Uh, I guess that's all I do now is talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and then I go on committees like I'm um, with the Nova Scotia Provincial Pain Working Strategy. And a lot of these and with Pain Canada and Atlantic Mentorship Network, it's, it's about sharing your story, letting them know what's really happened. What do we need? And with the peer support, I, I'm hearing from other people kind of like, Natasha kind of has a peer support thing going there and I've got a peer support in a different way. Ours is peer support groups and uh, you're hearing what's really happening. And 10 years later, it's still happening. Mm. It's still not good. Mm-hmm. What did you, uh, how did you, what was it like when you uh, talked for the first time about it? Mm. Or like when you talked about it with like in front of a group of people, like how did you feel? I heard so. Um, there was a physiotherapist here. After I did that, the next week later, the physiotherapist here, I live in Annapolis Valley, uh, had um, an education afternoon. So I knew the physiotherapist was putting it on. I said, can I open it? She's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I went and I went to actually my physiotherapist that I went, I go to, uh, went to, and we sat together and then I got up and I opened it and nobody had any idea why I was there or I had pain and I just opened it and I basically welcomed there, told them I live with pain and took about 10 minutes, how bad it was living pain. And it's them being at these things that are going to make a difference. And everybody just kind of looked at me and that was the hardest, but then it, it just got easier and easier and easier. Mm. It's always so I, I just, the, the, the thought that came up in my head is I, I just remember um, actually Jeremy and I met doing a yoga teacher training uh, over a decade ago now and um, in Brazil. And we were in this like, Weird. The training was starting and we were all sitting in a circle and we were all kind of sharing like, you know, what, what were we here for? What were- are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while bam, some Simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. Was our sort of motivation for coming, and what were we hoping to get out of the training, and all this stuff, and and uh, and you know the circles going around. I could just all I could think of is like you know you're you're not even listening to anything that anybody's saying because you're just <laughs> you're, because you know that you know you're you know it's coming around to you, and you're just like oh my god, what am I going to say, and oh what's good and everything, and then and then speaking and 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 really for the first time being vulnerable about myself to a group of people and like how and and in hindsight I just I I know that my voice was probably shaking and I sound and I spoke probably at a thousand miles an hour and but like just after that experience of of sharing that like oh my god it feels really you know you, you you walk you kind of walk through life for a long time a lot of people i think it, it can can resonate with this thinking that being vulnerable about your life and things that you're going through is like a weakness and something that you should mm-hmm. uh something that you should rein back and like other people don't want to hear this i don't want to be a burden or whatever it is and then you share it and you know and you realize oh my god there's people there's people out there that feel the that feel the exact same way and yeah. that this is helpful for them and it's and and you feel really great about sharing that and it's like a weight off your shoulders and you feel lighter and yeah. and vulnerability I, is a superpower you know, totally yeah yeah it, it it's it's powerful 
Um, uh, Virginia, tell us about uh, People in Pain Network. The People in Pain Network is a um, nonprofit network. It is about uh, peer support, uh, pain support. So we was uh, originated in BC. We have now over the last three years uh, have it as a society within Nova Scotia and run it out of Nova Scotia and are running peer support groups within Nova Scotia and some uh, virtual online and have people nationally join. But we are, our peer support groups are, it's pain self-management. We offer a balance between education and support and mm. our, Members like that. They like to continue to learn. We are blessed that we have a lot of healthcare professionals who said, yeah, I'll come and speak. Just tell me when you want to come. With virtual, you can Zoom them in. And we have three virtual groups. We actually have a group that is specifically for young adults. But um, it's they like the education. They like the connecting. People get to know each other. Yeah. It's nice. People laugh. And then they're going to learn and ask questions. And what is a what is a pain self management group? Is is this, is this is this kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, well, kind of. We we literally put ours as a pain self management peer support. So it's not like mm-hmm. going in your classes under healthcare professionals. And the reason we do that instead of just saying a pain support group, uh, people are weary about support groups. I think yeah. people are sitting around a circle and chit chatting or growling and complaining. So we yeah. like to put that self managed balance between the education so people know. This is what the, the, the conversations are monitored as much as can be free, but it's about positive. It's yeah. about learning. And they all sit down every now a few months and say, okay, I want to learn about this topic, nutrition. I get this, why will you know, if I eat something or that I get pain? So we'll get right. a dietitian to come in, or we had a pharmacist the other day come in <laughs> of compound medications, just things they want to learn. Cool. Yeah. The, to, to that point about uh, support groups, like w- when I was growing up, um, you know, again, um, 34. So like social media, I, I remember the time before social media and, and I remember watching social media, um, evolve, you know, up to what it is today. And I recall like as someone living with cystic fibrosis, you know, hopping on a couple of like CF Facebook groups or, you know, peer support groups that, that are on, you know, certain forms and stuff. And I was one of those people that just like, I despise them. I, I, they, they, I didn't, I didn't find it helpful at all. I found it to be, um, kind of like gloom and doom, like really bummed me out. Um, and it just wasn't, it wasn't something that I found. I, I gleaned any, any kind of positivity from, but at 34 now looking at social media, it's, the social media landscape is very, very different. And, and Natasha, I'm kind of curious, you know, you're, you're our, our resident zoomer here with us. Uh, so, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll avoid asking you what the cool zoomer terms are right now. Um, I'm, I've already got bussin under my, under my belt. Um, and, uh, and, and devious lick. Those are two that I know. Whoa, that, I don't you know, know that one. Yeah, I'll tell you about it after. It's great. <laughs> so, so, uh, I'll, I'll save that for off air, but, um, but I am curious about your experience with social media, things like Instagram and TikTok. Um, you know, the social media platforms that, that really have evolved quite a bit over the last few years and things that I didn't have access to um, when I was your age. But I feel like if I was your age now, they would be places that I would be turning to, to find support or to feel, um, you know, to get that dose of like, I'm not alone or to see other people's experiences. So how has social media played a role in your life as a young person um, when it comes to managing your, your illness? Yeah, apparently, if you now search up hashtags and the disease, like 
you can basically find support very quickly, which mm -hmm. is crazy to me because I didn't even know that. And people were like, you search a hashtag fibromyalgia, hashtag rheumatoid arthritis, and there are a bunch of people with their posts and their TikToks, their reels, just giving you information in like 60 <laughs> seconds. And the thing is with young adults now, our attention span is very small. So <laughs> watching your like the 60 second to three minute TikToks is like the most information that you can really retain. And so in that sense, like I've learned a lot. Um, and then it's just trendy, funny, like it kind of keeps me uh, in a good mood, but you can also go down that rabbit hole, which is super negative. And mm -hmm. I found that on Facebook initially when I was diagnosed and I was researching um, kids getting arthritis, it was just parents of kids making mm -hmm. these groups. And it was like, mm -hmm. I couldn't find anyone. And I only know uh, new Facebook at that time that could potentially have that. I didn't know there was like Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, like Snapchat, all these apps that I could use. And so when I got into that, it was like, a whole community that I never knew existed, which was mm. amazing. And just seeing other people kind of coming in and giving their videos, their posts, their like five, 10 second blurbs. And they now they do Instagram live stream events. You can get on there and I take a pain check. Like we've been doing that as well. I just find that people can come in quickly. We also do like something called a joint chat room. So it's like, we play like arthritis bingo and like just <laughs> things like yeah. just like, lighten up the mood and we do that over social media we have like discord and it's, mm. it's just it's a great time to kind of educate yourself but also lighten up the mood yeah yeah it i feel like with uh like with hashtags and stuff i mean there's, such, there's probably such a volume of of content that you can kind of like pick your lane of how you want to like what sort of lanes of the discussion you want yes. to pay attention to, yeah. you know, because for some people, maybe the, maybe commiserating is yep. helpful in some yeah. way. And then, and then it if is. you want to go yeah. down a more comedic path, then you can find that content. And, you just let the and, algorithm do the work and then it'll, it'll lead you where right. you want yeah, to go. Just, yeah. yeah. Just watch, just watch <laughs> like five videos and then you're good. <laughs> That's it. Uh, I, I'm curious. And this is a question open to both of you. Um, you know, Sick Boy began at its core as a, as a comedy podcast. Um, humor, uh, you know, comedy, um, those have played a really important part in my life as like an alternative therapy. And I'm wondering how, uh, how and if humor has kind of played a role in your uh, journey in terms of managing what it is that you're both going through. I think humor is huge. I think humor, you just got to be able to be light. You got to laugh at it. Um, we've actually even had a comedian come into one of our support group meetings one year for Christmas. So I, I think it's huge. I, you, mm. you, it's a part of keeping things down. How about you, Natasha? Yeah, I think same here. It's definitely hard though to be happy and stuff when you live with a chronic illness but balancing it knowing that sometimes you have to be serious and you have to figure out what you're going through but also you can have some fun and it, it doesn't just have to be I live with this condition and you know my life's over so it's it's been really helpful uh, yeah and I find that a lot of people with pain feel much better um, when they're laughing and doing yeah. things that they like and yeah yeah uh, Jennifer, I'd love to check back in and see if uh, perhaps we have another uh, another question or two um, before we we sort of come to the uh, to the end here. Most definitely, we actually have a comment as well as another question for our panelists. So the comment is um, Nat Natasha and Virginia. 
You were both uh, inspiring in your pain advocacy. Thank you. Um, this individual says, I live in New Brunswick and have had to find ways to deal with my pain on my own. I have lupus, osteoarthritis, and fibromyalgia. My rheumatologist watches inflammation markers in my blood, but I have been largely on my own to deal with the pain. It took me five years to get my pain, my pain team together, massage therapists, acupuncturists, naturopathic doctor, and others who provide yoga, Pilates, mindfulness, meditation, cranial sacral uh, therapy. Plus, I've taken on the task of researching nutrition and autoimmune disease, example, anti-inflammatory diet. We need interdisciplinary pain clinics across mm. all of Canada. And that's mm -hmm. an amazing comment. Well said. A uh, question for, for you is, um, are there groups specific of specific types, uh, specific to types of pain causes, pardon me? For example, is there... Um, is the work that Natasha does just for young people or young kids with rheumatological pain, or is it beyond that? Yeah, so it's interesting because mm -hmm. after the CBC documentary went out, a lot of older people that are not my target demographic, but I also don't want to discriminate, everyone lives with pain, um, came up to me and said like, they wish they had support as well. Mm. So I'm currently trying to get them involved in the organization. So it's not solely a young person um based organization it was but not anymore so mm -hmm. if you are interested in getting involved just search up take a pain check and you can reach out to me um it's room it's rheumatic diseases but we do have people with just general chronic illnesses that are ambassadors and want to make contests content creation things like that so definitely you can get involved doesn't matter how old you are very cool and, and juvenile arthritis uh you know it's not like a turn 18 and it goes away thing, right? So like, it, it stays. Um, that would be amazing. That, I mean, yeah, you just age out of it. Natasha wouldn't be here. Uh, she'd be, <laughs> yeah. she would have been done with this last year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, how yeah, about, how, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, Natasha. I was going to say, yeah, it's really interesting that um, some people actually change it from juvenile to rheumatoid arthritis, but some people stick with just the juvenile arthritis. So it's, mm. it's, it's a case by case basis, but yeah, no, and honestly, anyone with a chronic illness can get involved. Mm -hmm. awesome. And, and Virginia with the work that you do, I take it that's pretty much open to uh, a pretty broad demographic as well. Absolutely. Anybody pain is pain. So we don't individualize what type of pain, pain, pain is pain. And mm. we have done uh, is a young adult support group for just the young adults because their needs are different than ours. And now we have a young adult who comes to our evening group where it's all the older adults. I think our average age is probably mid forties, late forties, fifties. And then, then you get some up to eighties, whatever. Mm. But who comes up, but also goes to the young adults. And she said, can I go to both? I said, of course you can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> different topics so yeah and being virtual the support groups are we went virtual and COVID hit um was the last thing I wanted to do because I always felt in person was better our yeah. virtual group was taken off the most yeah yeah I mean we we can speak to that we we yeah. only did interviews on our podcast in person COVID hit forced us to do it via zoom and now you know now it's, we can have a conversation with someone you know living in in Zambia and be like okay cool this is uh we're doing this this is great I so, honestly don't even know where the podcast would have gone if COVID, I, if true, COVID yeah. didn't force us in. Wouldn't have went very far. <laughs> uh, we, I have, uh, we're coming up to the end here and, and I want to be mindful of time. Um, but uh, before I get to our, our final question, which is, is for both of you, 
there's one more thing that I'm kind of curious about. And uh, again, this is coming from my own perspective as, as someone who lives with illness. Um, although, although chronic pain isn't really in my wheelhouse with dealing with cystic fibrosis, um, there is one thing that I think kind of relates to everybody who's going through something when it comes to their body or their health, um, especially when it's something that is so all-encompassing. Um, for myself, living with cystic fibrosis, there's been a really big tie to how my CF kind of plays a role in my own self-identity. Um, and I'm kind of curious as to how your pain has, has affected your self-identity or how you identify uh, when, you, when you look at your pain as, as a part of you. That's a tricky one. I don't know if I look my pain as a part of me. It's just there. I do know with the pain and developing pain, my life changed. My social circles changed. Yeah. And um, it impacted my self-esteem, impacted everything. Your, your friends leave. And once they leave, they don't come back. And once you can't, like I used to play soccer or marathon run, well, that, that's it's done with now. So it, it changed things, but your, your circle change and it takes time, but it gets there. It, it gets you find people who mm. are understanding if you have to cancel the last minute or if you can't make something. So it, it, I guess, I mean, I guess I'm going to say it is really a part of your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm, it changes mm-hmm. How about you, Natasha? That is a tricky question. <laughs> I, I agree with what Virginia said though. Like it is part of your life. I wouldn't say, I mean, it is part of your identity because now you live with it. Um, but it's it's definitely tricky when it's an invisible disability because mm-hmm. people can't see it. And so that's it's it's been a bit of a challenge to, you know, explain it to people and then things change in life as you move on into mm-hmm. life. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think where that quite like where that question comes from, and, and this is something that I've I've kind of spoken to before, and 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 you know, I'm only saying this to to perhaps maybe maybe it will resonate with one of you or, or, you know, one of the, the listeners at home who are dealing with pain. But, um, I, you know, we've heard on the podcast, many people say that they would never want their illness to define them, um, which I think is, you know, completely reasonable. Um, but as someone who's lived with CF, uh, which is a genetic disease, so I was, I was born with it. I've had it my whole life. I don't know anything, you know, I don't know any different. I, I, I always say that I allow CF to, to define me, but I, but I, I let it define me on my own terms, which, which I think there's, there's something about that that makes me feel like I have a power over my disease, um, over what it is that I'm going through, that if I didn't have that power, then, then I'd probably relate to my illness a lot differently. Um, so so it, it is, it's always interesting for me to talk to people who are living with something that is taking up so much of their life and just to see how they relate to it um, in terms of how they relate to themselves. Um, but thank you. Thank you for those, those answers. That was really, that was really thoughtful. We released the episode, uh, a few days ago, um, um, with a guy named Dylan and he said something like something to the effect of like, I don't want my, de- I don't want, I don't want me to see my disease to define me, but I want to be able to, I want to be able to make space for it yes. and like make space around it. Yes. Um, yeah. um, and, and so that I can, so that I can deal with it and let it influence me in a healthy way. And yeah. I think like, you know, going back to something that you both resonated with uh, or both spoke to, which is like, you know, the ability to say no when, when it's not going to be conducive mm-hmm. to the way that you're going to feel the next day or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever it might be. And, and like making that healthy space for, um, for like the right decisions for you to be taken 
that are going to help you be kind of like the best version of you within the experience of living with Mm -hmm. pain or whatever it is that somebody might be dealing with. So uh, I'd love to get to our final question. It's a two-part question for each of you. So I'll start with you, Virginia. We'll go through both and then we'll, we'll move on to you, Natasha. Um, this is a question that we ask most of our guests on, on the podcast. Um, the first part is, Virginia, what would you say is the biggest thing that your pain has taken away from you? Wow. Well, initially I thought it was my career, but after a little bit of acceptance and knowing there's a change, I think, I don't know, you know, I, I thought too, not being able to do the sports and the running was, you know, it was the end of everything in my career. I guess the biggest impact has been on my people who I thought were friends, but it's just a change. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just changed, you know? Okay. So I can't do certain things, but I can do other things. If, if they were meant to be friends and going to be with you and they're not, they're not. Mm -hmm. So I think I've come to another part is, is it really, you know, taking things or have I really just grown? What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Oh my gosh. The biggest thing it's given me is this, this sort of thing. These connections with these lovely people, meeting people like Natasha, you guys, there's so many people like Natasha out there who are just so lovely and who come so far and um, people go to our support groups, people who work with stuff. They're just, um, it's amazing. It is just amazing the people I've met on this journey. Natasha, what's the biggest thing uh, that your pain has taken away from you? my ability to do chemistry questions and (laughs) (laughs) um just because it's so physical and like my hands are flaring here and there my ability to do my homework i know that sounds so sad but it's the truth hey it's a better Um, excuse than your dog at your homework i mean let's let's be real (laughs) what would you say what would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you um exactly what Virginia said this whole community also it's helped me shape what I want to do in the future and then giving me opportunities to do research on my own condition and just get some papers out there and just a lot of advocacy and research work which has been well uh to both of you I want to say thank you so much this has been such a treat to you know for Taylor and myself to get an opportunity to be a part of a conversation like this you've both been wonderful guests and uh, we commend you for for the work that you do as advocates and uh, for for the work that you've done tonight by being vulnerable and sharing your stories. Uh, again, Virginia is uh, the uh, the director of People in Pain Network. If you want to know more, go to www.pipain.com. And uh, for Natasha, Take a Pain Check is the podcast that is out. Uh, it is available wherever you find podcasts, uh, and I highly suggest you go. Uh, subscribe and leave a rating and a review because that's very important for our, pod- our our podcast families out there. Do we know it? Um, thank you all so much, and and to uh, to Pain BC, thank you for having us here. This has been so fun. Uh, we were honored that you reached out and asked us to be a part of something that is so vitally important, and and uh, and we're rooting for you and hoping to see this uh, this exact same conference happen again uh, year and year again uh, over the over the future. So thank you all so much for having us today. Thank you so much. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.